Our scripture this afternoon, not this morning, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thanks, Andrea. Well, let me just uh, say one other item by way of announcement, but didn't seem to fit uh, in the earlier announcement uh, section. I wanted it to be uh, here at this point. Um, We are are now a month, I think. No, no, sorry. We are not quite a month. It's only middle of the month. Um, I guess three Sundays right into 2021. And... Um, I don't know if you saw the little update a couple of e-newses ago. We send the e-news out on Fridays, so not the one from two days ago, but from the week before. Um, as it relates to our church finances, we, we ended 2020 with a $15,000 surplus. So you all gave $15,000 more than what we were budgeting you all would give, what we all would give. And so that is just awesome, and we are a generous church. You are a generous church. Yeah. That's worth clapping about in, um, in a year of, you know, difficulties with finances uh, on so many levels. We, we tried to, as a church, have a conservative uh, budget. We, we kept in there our rent, even though we knew we were only, we only paid the first four months. We didn't have to, but we felt like, well, just in case things change and reopen, we wanted to be ready. And, and as a church, uh, you all stepped in and met that, and so that's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So... Um, it's very cool. Way to go, Soma. Um, it's just a wonderful place to be in. A church, beyond, you know, meeting budgets, the issue is a church that's generous. And I should say, before I get into the text now, the other item is, so for the quarter four, right, October, November, December, um, I think we had $70,000 come in. So quite a lot in that final quarter, which that's typical, like, year-end giving. But that means 10% of that, I can do this math, 10% of 70,000 is 7,000. Um, that's what the first fruits 
team now gets to meet on and give out to other gospel ministries. Yeah, and that deserves a clap as well. So, very awesome. Way to go. It is, uh, it is wonderful to be a part of a generous church. Okay. This afternoon and next weekend, I plan to take a page out of someone else's playbook, as the saying goes. That someone is former pastor John Piper. Um, most of you, if you know me, you know that he's someone that, that I look up to and has been an influence on me. In fact, since 2013, I've traveled every year right around the Super Bowl to cold Minneapolis, and I didn't take my slippers, Greg. I took real shoes uh, to that part of the country. Uh, so eight years in a row, um, I traveled. Greg and I got to go last year. Unfortunately, this year with the pandemic, um, it's not happening. And that is a conference that was started by John Piper out of his church, and it's grown um, to be a pastors and leaders conference. Uh, so you, you know that. I quote him. I'll be quoting him tonight. Um, but when I talk about a page out of his playbook, let me, let me set this up. So he pastored for over 30 years at the same church in Minneapolis, and um, about the last 15 plus years, I I didn't look exactly to to nail down that number, but it was well over 15 years uh, of his last ones before he retired, he would always preach a sermon on this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, on, on, on race, racism, racial harmony. So he did that on the Sunday of Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Then the following weekend, next weekend, he would also preach the same type of sermon on the topic of the sanctity of life, especially or specifically as it relates to abortion. And I aim to do the same thing. Now you're warned, and if all of a sudden you got to leave, goodbye. I hope you don't have to leave. I hope you'll be back next week as well. Again, this is from his playbook, and, and I... I Use that phrase on purpose. Um, I can remember, I think it was in about the year 2002, uh, just before moving back up to the Bay Area, one of my, my first five Piper books I got was a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It, it was a book of some 20 plus, maybe 30 kind of meditations for pastors and elders. In fact, our pastor elder group read through that book several years ago. And in that book, that's where I first learned that he did this. He has a chapter on, I think it's called Brothers Sever the Root of Racism. And he talks about what he's done and his story and and so forth. And then he talks about brothers, you know, herald the call for the the sanctity of life and so forth. Um, And so this last summer, of course, uh, we'll remember, you remember, summer 2020, Um, I think it was May. I didn't look at the date. I believe it was May. George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. His murder seemed to be, for our country, a sad but tipping point because everybody was all of a sudden dealing with it. And and whether or not, you know, more was made than should or not enough, again, right, we always have a division on... What, what we're hearing and being told, and that has only increased throughout the year in our country as we headed toward the election and, and the virus and, I mean, all of it, right? Nevertheless, George Floyd's murder seemed to be this tipping point. Race and racism issues were all around, and so we decided as a church, well, we need to address it from the Bible. 
Like, if, if it's all around us and the news is telling us stuff and if social media is telling us stuff, we don't necessarily believe we shouldn't everything we hear, okay? So what does the Bible say? And so there was about 10 of us that met for a growth group. That's our version at Soma of small groups. We met in my backyard and we read John Piper's book called Bloodlines. It, it was written about 10 years ago. And, and the whole goal was to hopefully do what Piper does best, which is unpack the Bible and, and get to things. And, and it's worth looking up sometime. Again, I know several of you that didn't join the growth group, you, you kind of read from a distance and watched some of the videos that we posted. But uh, he grew up in, in South Carolina, and he's very honest about the racism that was part of his life, that was part of just life living in South Carolina in the, the 40s, 50s, and early 60s, and so forth. And that's, that's a big part of the book as well, sort of his story. But it was in the middle of reading that book that I, I decided, I, I came to a conviction. I didn't hear God. There wasn't a voice out of heaven saying, Paul, take that page out of Piper's playbook. Okay. But, but there was a conviction through a few conversations that, you know, we're, we're reading this book and, and trying to think biblically about racial issues in our country. But I think God wants me to do something I had thought about, Piper's idea to preach on it on MLK weekend race to then Sanctity of Life weekend uh, address abortion. That way, at least once a year, those two topics get addressed and, and get, get thought of. And so, um, at least for this year, that's what we're going to do. And so, again, I, I say all that just, just so you know where we're going. In fact, I should also say, too, because of the sensitivity of next week's topic, we have a kid's breakout planned, and so we haven't done one yet here, uh, but the kids are going to have a couple different spots where they will get to go and have a great time, uh, hear a lesson, a story, do some things, uh, and so forth. Now, before we get into Ephesians 2, what was read for us, let me say a few things, again, now by way of introduction and orientation into this topic of race, racism, racial harmony, racial reconciliation, and so forth. Why, Paul, oh, take this page out of Piper's playbook? Let me, let me answer that. Again, other than believing God wanted me to and having a conviction of the Holy Spirit. So tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. All of you kids, you don't have school. Make sure your parents know that. Okay? You might have some work to do. She might have some school assignments. I don't know. Don't get in trouble. Don't get me in trouble with your parents. But you don't have school tomorrow, okay? Martin Luther King's birthday was January 15th, 1929. Some in the patio here were alive when he was assassinated, April 4th, 1968, at 39 years old. If he were alive and had had his birthday this past Friday... He would have been 91 years old. In 1983, I was 10, Congress established the third Monday of every January as a national holiday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. and what he stood for. When when our kids actually went to a school, remember those days? Uh, No, when they were younger, uh, typically I would try every year on this weekend to say to them, hey, do you have school tomorrow? No, 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 no school tomorrow. Why not? Martin Luther King Jr. would, would come their answer. 
And then I would try to have a, just a short little dialogue with them. Well, what's so important about Martin Luther King Jr.? Why did he get a day off school? And they would have lots of things to say. Typically, they did some things in their class to learn about him and so forth. But what I wanted them to know, because I knew the school probably wasn't telling them this part of, of the story, was that Martin Luther King Jr. was a Christian. Now, he may, may have gone off on some topics and some things, and like all humans, right, our stories have good and bad, and we, 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 we are flawed, whatever, okay, doctrinally is kind of what I'm getting at, and so forth. But, but he was a Christian. In fact, his name, Martin Luther King Jr., he was junior. His dad um, was so changed by what he learned about the reformer Martin Luther that, that he changed his name and then his son's name to, to reflect the, the reformer. And as a Christian, Martin Luther King Jr. did everything he did, did, did his peaceful protests and, and tried to change things for civil rights because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says that every human being, every human being is made in the image of God. And because every human being, regardless of the color of their skin, is made in the image of God, they have rights. They, they, they have rights. That was the foundation of what he would then do in the civil rights movement. And, and that's what I wanted my kids to learn and to know that, again, yes, all the other things are important, but the foundation was he believed what the Bible says in Genesis one twenty-seven. Again, he wasn't perfect. No one is, not even Martin Luther. The reformer was perfect, right? There's one, been one perfect person in all of history, the Lord Jesus, and none of us are perfect. So again, that's that. But nonetheless, uh, it's a good thing that our country decided this guy deserves a holiday and, and we should learn about him in school and I think we should and I think we all should know more. In fact, before I forget to say it, if you haven't ever or if it's been a while, why don't you read letters from a Birmingham jail as a family or with some friends, parents, read it to your kids. It's important to, to learn about him and to learn what he wrote. And that's a powerful letter. You can find it for free online. So that's first off, why today? Because tomorrow when your kids don't go to school, remind them the foundation of why there's a holiday in our country. Okay. Number two, we need to be reminded of things. I have yet to meet anyone who has it all together. All of us don't have it all together, and I'm first in line. And, of course, the Bible says that. The Bible makes that clear. We, we don't have it all together. Christians are not perfect, right? We, we, we still sin. We, we still fall short. We, we are saved. We are forgiven. We're in a right relationship with God because of Jesus, because of his perfect life, living according to God's laws in the way we can't, his, his, his perfect righteousness, but then also, of course, like we keep a cross in our gathering. He went to the cross to, to die so that we don't. He took the wrath of God. He paid the penalty for sin. So that doesn't make us perfect, though, right? We are becoming more like Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine says we're becoming transformed into the image of Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tell us to work out our salvation, not to work it in. We don't do anything to earn that salvation, but what God does when he saves us, we're to work out. So we are, 
we are being saved on the one hand. We're saved, but we're, we're becoming more like Jesus. We call it sanctification. We call it the a process, even our, our vision statement, right? That by God's grace, we are becoming spiritually transformed. So all of that is a reminder that we forget things. I want you to think with me for a moment about the Apostle Peter. Now, last week, if you were here, we looked at Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, the, the great confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we talked about last week that the church Jesus said he, he would build, and it's based on those words of the Apostle Peter. Jesus said, Peter, you're blessed. Like, you didn't get that from your brother. You didn't get it from the rest of the apostles. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father, Peter, was privileged to have this direct revelation of of knowing and then confessing, admitting, declaring who Jesus was. But then, (laughs) the very next story in Matthew goes like this, Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So that's like the first time Jesus is very direct with the disciples about why he's going toward Jerusalem, why his face is fixed on Jerusalem. And, and so, right, Peter has just had the confession, you're Christ, you're son of the living God. Jesus says, this is why I'm here, what I'm doing. And then Peter... Some of you know what's about to happen. Verse 22. Peter took him aside, right? Can't you just see him putting his arm around the shoulder? Hey, Jesus, come here a minute. You know, remember I'm the blessed one, right? The Father revealed something to me. Come here, Jesus. Um, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. One moment Peter had the right answer, the next he is called Satan. Kind of like those birds that are a hindrance right now. (laughs) Peter is said to be a hindrance to Jesus. I mean, let's deal with that for a minute. Not only does Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, but then to be called a hindrance? Wow. He was just a moment before likely called blessed, and he got an A+. And now he's a hindrance? His mind is on the things of of man down here? In other words, instead of on God's things? So Peter could forget things. Stick with me for a moment. As we now start to think about the topic of race and racism, well, Peter, he, he was a Jewish fisherman and... Um, and very proud of his ethnic and, and, you know, religious racial heritage, being part of the chosen people of God. And he had been told some things, of course, grew up with some things, and Jesus would come along and, and show that, that his coming was for everyone and so forth. Well, um, he had to be reminded of that. In the book of Acts, he was a witness to the Samaritans, that, uh, that kind of geographical region in Israel. And in chapter 8, verses 14 to 25, they came to faith, and, and he uh, was a witness of that. And then later in Acts chapter 10, Peter receives this vision. You might remember that story. He's probably like a day like today out on the roof. He's napping. It's beautiful. And in this 
this dream, this vision, a big sheet comes down, and Jesus tells him it's, got, it's full of food and unclean food, food that, based on Old Testament law, he as a Jewish man shouldn't touch, let alone eat. And Jesus says, take and eat. What God has declared clean, don't you think of as unclean. So he's, he's witnessed Samaritans who the Jews didn't regard well at all because of ethnic and racial things come to faith. Now he's being told that everything is clean, you can eat and don't call anything unclean. And then he awakens and the story goes on in Acts 10. There's this guy nearby, Cornelius, and he's calling for, for Peter. And, and he's a Gentile, he's not Jewish, but he's called a God-fearer, meaning he has begun to follow the God of the Bible, the God of the, the Hebrew Scriptures, although hasn't likely been circumcised, doesn't do the dietary things, but, but he believes in, in Yahweh. And, and God had told him, call for Peter. So they, they get together. Peter says, what do you want? And, and Cornelius says, well, you know, you're, you've got a message for me from God. And then there's sort of this aha moment, Acts 10, verses 28 and 29 Peter said to Cornelius and those in the household, you yourselves know, if you know your Bible, he's saying to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection, and I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius says, well, you got a word for me, don't you? And it goes on, and Acts 10, 34 to 43, I want to read it. I want you to hear this. Peter gives this answer. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There it is, a gospel presentation from Peter a Jew to Cornelius a Gentile, and Peter's got it now, right? He's heard. He's seen Samaritans come to faith. He's seen now Cornelius, and and they would receive the Spirit, and he would bear witness, and he would see, and he would say, God doesn't show partiality. Verse 45 of Acts 10, the believers from among the circumcised, so the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And that's most of us, I do believe, and we should be thankful for that. The gospel was truly for everyone, for Jewish believers and for Gentile believers. Surely Peter 
would have all his prejudices and racial issues dealt with, right? He would forget. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes a, a private encounter, if you will, uh, that was private at first, but then Paul decided to make this a big deal because it, it was a big deal. Peter apparently was in Antioch, so he's out of Jerusalem, he's up in Antioch, and uh, he's with some others uh, that had come, and in this church, multi-ethnic church in Antioch, Peter's moving around, mingling, eating with people, but then apparently some others came from Jerusalem, and as soon as they arrived, Peter retreats from mingling with everybody and, and pulls away, and so this is what the Apostle Paul says, Galatians chapter 2, specifically looking at verse 14. This is Paul speaking. He says, when I saw their conduct, that it was not in step with the truth of the gospel, hear that. He's talking about how they pulled away and they were ashamed to be mingling with Gentiles. Their, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, that's Peter, Before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, meaning you get to mingle around and do all this, but now you're pulling back and you're telling the Jews to live like Gentiles, meaning they have to obey laws, dietary and whatnot. Um, Basically, how, how can you do that, Peter? How can you force them? You're being a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is, is stated there. And, and as Paul said, that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. So, so Peter is rebuked right then and there. Now, we could keep digging. Um, but my point, and I know this has been a long introductory point <laughs> on why I'm taking this page out of Piper's playbook, is because Peter needed to be reminded of things. Peter, who got to walk around for three years with Jesus and hear Jesus speak and, and see things and witness things, he, he struggled too. Might it be that we forget things too? I, I know we're Californians and we think we don't have these issues, right? Other parts of the country do. And I kind of say it that way because I think that. Like, oh, I'm so thankful I live in California where it's not like the South. So, so I, I'm aware of my own hypocrisy because I have prejudices. And, and if you were part of the growth group, that, that bloodlines group, I shared some of those. I'm not going to share them today, sorry. But there are thoughts that I have at moments that aren't in step with the gospel as it relates to others that look different than me. So, tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Kids are off. Other things are closed. It's a holiday because... Martin Luther King Jr. believed Genesis 1.27. Everyone is made in the image of God and therefore deserves to be treated with dignity and respect and kindness. And we need to be reminded of things, including racial prejudicial things. So, finally, let's look at Ephesians 2 for a few moments tonight. I'm calling this sermon a blood issue. Again, that's a phrase from Piper. Um, it's a blood issue, he, he would say. And I had the privilege of hearing him at many conferences speak about racial things. And he would come back to that over and over. It's a blood issue. It's a blood issue. And, and 
this text kind of explains what he meant. So let's begin. Ephesians 2, we're going to start at verses, verse 11. And we're going to notice the beginning and the end of the section that was read. So in verses 11 and 12, listen to how this, this is, begins. It's a description of an alienation, this hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. Okay? So Ephesians 2, 11 to 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world." There's one command in those two verses. It's the word remember. The very first sermon I ever did in a preaching class back in seminary, we had to do a sermon on one verse as we were learning how to do expository preaching, how to unpack a passage. The teacher said, pick one verse and do a, I think, like six-minute sermon out of the one verse to learn, you know, the steps. And I picked Ephesians 2.12. And in, in verse 12, the word in English, remember, shows up again, to help us understand, but it's found in verse 11, and it's a command. Remember, you who, at one point, like, you, you had no connection to God. That's what, that's what he's saying. You, you were not connected. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. Remember. Remember. We'll come back to that a little bit later. It's important to remember. Remember that you, you were separate. You, you were strangers to the promises, and you had no hope. You were without God in the world. Remember that, Gentiles. So that's how he starts, this this alienation that existed. Then I want us to jump to the end, verses 19 to 22, and let's see the description of the reconciliation that happened. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Four things start out in, verses, uh, in verse 19. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. Now you're fellow citizens with all the other saints, and now you're members of the same household. Okay? That, that speaks to the reconciliation that's happened. In verse 20, he speaks of the common foundation, uh, the, the apostles and prophets, that the, the foundation they laid, and then Jesus being the cornerstone. And then, right, verses 21 and 22 have this amazing statement that this, this new unity of Jew and Gentile, this, this new man, as he calls it back up in verse 15, is, is growing into a dwelling place for God. Okay? Let, let that sink in. We, in Christ, are, are growing into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. How astounding is that? This is what John Piper has to say about these verses. That's what God is aiming at in our salvation. A new people, 
one man, according to verse 15, that is so free from enmity and so united in truth and peace that God himself is there for our joy and for his glory forever. That's the aim of reconciliation, a place for God to live among us and make himself known and enjoyed forever and ever. Now keep in mind here that the divide at this time between Jew and Gentile was no small or simple or shallow thing. It was huge and complex and deep. It was first religious. Jews knew the one true God and Christian Jews knew his son, the Messiah, Jesus. Then the divide was cultural or social, with ceremonies and practices like circumcision and dietary regulations and rules of cleanliness. These were all designed to set the Jews apart from other nations for a period of time, a period of redemptive history, to make clear the radical holiness of God. Then the divide was racial. This was a bloodline that goes back to Jacob and not Esau, to Isaac and not Ishmael, and to Abraham and no other father. So the divide here was big or bigger than any divide that we face today between black and white or brown and white or or whatever other color divides that happen. And they're big, don't get me wrong but not at all like this, and I agree with Piper there. So that's the beginning and the end. Alienation, separation, then reconciliation and unity. But how? Well, that's the middle, verses 13 to 18, and there's so much there, but there's one key point I want us to see. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is why it's a blood issue. It's the blood of Jesus. He goes on in verse 14, for Jesus himself, he is our peace, who made us both, Jew, Gentile, who made us both one, one new man, he's going to say, and broke down in his flesh, skin, flesh, flesh that bleeds, the dividing wall. This, this wall of practices and, and ethnicity and all of that, Jesus broke it down by his blood, his flesh, by abolishing, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, there it is, in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. So blood, his flesh, the cross. That's the main point. As much as there's so many other deep, deep things here in Ephesians 2, 13 to 18, it's the blood of Jesus. It's his flesh. It's the cross that did this. Let me conclude with a few implications and then some applications. Implications from this truth that by the blood of Jesus, there is no longer a division between who, is for, who God is for and who he's not and who gets to be with God and who he's not. Okay? All have been reconciled through Jesus. So first, two implications, and then I'll have a few applications as it relates to us. 
So there's another pastor whose name is Tabiti Anyabile. I think I say, said that correct. He's an African-American pastor and writer. And he notes these two implications that I want to just share straight from his writing that, again, come from the blood work of Jesus in regard to our own ethnic and racial identities, okay? So first, God assigns to all individuals their particular nation with the aim that they might, by that very appointment, come to find him. Let me say that again. God assigns to all individuals their particular nation with the aim that they might, by that very appointment, come to find him. Where does he get that implication from? Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. The Apostle Paul says that he made, God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That speaks to us. From one man, Adam, God made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods right now. I said this to us before it's, it's no accident that we're here now and we're alive during this time. We are here because it was God's plan. It was his determining plan for us to, to live now and to be who we are and so forth. But ultimately, the aim is that we would seek him and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him. So again, individual identity and, and uh, ethnic diversity, it's good. It, it's what God wants. Just because there's one new thing in Christ, that doesn't mean we disregard and get away with our individual differences. That was God's plan always, that there would be a multitude of peoples and nations. Number two, the second implication, Tabidi writes, the new spiritual ethnicity created in Christ, right, the new man that we looked at in Ephesians by the blood, by the flesh, by the cross, that new identity, the new spiritual ethnicity created in Christ, makes natural ethnic identities secondary. So they're not gone. They're, they're secondary. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So in Christ, this identity is, is number one. Our German and whatever other side of white European ancestry I have, right? that's good and it's important, but it's secondary. And wherever you're from, that's good. And God planned it and willed it that you would come from who you came from and be alive now. But it's secondary because in Christ we have this more important identity because of the blood of Jesus, because of his flesh, because of the cross. Our identities are not destroyed, but they're subsumed. They're secondary. And now a few applications. Four, four things. Number one, we need to remember. 
All right? I said I'd come back to that word from Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. We need to remember that as Gentiles, which as I said is most of us, we were, we would still be alienated from God, hopeless, helpless, without God in the world. But Jesus came and he broke down the dividing wall. The, the blood did it. The cross did it. And we've been grafted in, Romans speaks of, and there's this new identity. We need to remember that. Okay, we need to remember that. We need to remember that no one group ethnically is, is favored by God. God has been saving now people from every nation and people groups and, and, and all over. We need to remember that. Number two, we need to repent. These all start with R. They're easy to remember. So we remember. Number two, we repent. Martin Luther, not King Jr., but the reformer, I, I've said this before, he, he noted in the first of the 95 Thesis that the whole of the Christian's life is to be repentance. That is, when we are out of line, we repent. To repent is to turn. And biblically, to repent is to change our thinking, to change what, how we feel and think, but, but it involves action too. So genuine repentance leads to a change of behavior. So we need to repent of prejudices that we have when we have them. We need to repent of, of racial hostility when it's there. And if you don't think you have it, man, I'll buy you a coffee and let's walk and talk and I'll share some of mine and, and maybe I'm just way more deprived than you, but I have those things in me. And I think you do too. And, and when we remember what Jesus has done, when we remember what the blood has done, we need to repent and we need to have some change of, of how we behave and how we talk. We need to, as John the Baptist said, I love the line that he said to those who were coming to be baptized, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's not just say the right things. Let's, let's live it. So we remember, we repent. Number three, we need to do some requests, re- requesting. We need to request. That is, we need to pray for our own hearts on these things. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray. We need to ask God to break down the divisions. We need to pray for soft hearts on everyone's side of things. But, but start with your own heart. Re- request, God, make me like you. Make me like you. And number four, we need to rejoice. So we remember, we repent, we request, and we need to rejoice. What do I mean by that? Well, rejoice in what Jesus has done, but... Let me jump to a passage in Revelation at the end of the Bible. Listen to these amazing words from Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is before God in heaven, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One more Piper quote. The implications here in Revelation 5 for racial and ethnic harmony in the church 
are staggering when you let it sink in. The price of God securing ethnic diversity in the priesthood and the kingdom is the death of his son. The design of the atonement is racial diversity in the company of the redeemed. Applying and pursuing this is not a social issue. It's a blood of Jesus issue. That is what it cost, and that is how important it is. Not only that, we can up the ante even more. Notice that in Revelation 5.9, the diversity was purchased for God. You purchased for God people from every tribe. The issue is not only a blood of Jesus issue, it's a glory of God issue. Blood-bought racial diversity and harmony is for the glory of God through Christ. It is all aiming at the all-satisfying, everlasting, God-centered, Christ-exalting experience of many-colored worship. That's what we need to rejoice in. That's what we need to rejoice in. And we need to let that shape us. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream was big, but it was bigger than black and white, and and ours must be too. What, What he said he had a dream of, we need to let it, sit here in Revelation 5, that God did this through his blood, a people from every nation for himself. That needs to be something we rejoice in and that shapes us and changes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name that I, I come now. And God, I'm, I'm broken over all this afresh tonight because I'm aware of the prejudice in me. I'm aware of the, the ugliness that exists. Oh God, I confess that and I repent and I don't say that to pat myself on the back tonight. I'm just aware that I have a long way to go. I'm like Peter. I think I get it. I think I got it. But then I need to be reminded. And I thank you for your word. And I know we've looked at a lot tonight. But I thank you for the blood, the flesh, the cross. What the Lord Jesus did. So that I could be as a Gentile part of this this new man, the, the church. Part of the people that Jesus, you ransomed for God. And I, I want this church body to, to rejoice in that too. And, and, and so, thank you for the forgiveness that's mine when, I'm, when, when we repent and when we turn and confess. And may I bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I pray we all would. And I pray we would long and pray for this vision of revelation to be true. Even now, that we would taste it now. Here in Soma, in, in where we live and in this country, and we do pray for this country. God, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. And I, I pray that we would live as salt and light, and we would, we would share our faith and, and point to the hope, the only hope for anyone, and that's in you. In Jesus' name.